Hello everyone, you're listening to another Scots We Hey podcast and on this podcast um, I spoke with writer um, Douglas Skelton. Um, his recent novels um, feature a central character called Dominic Quest, um, The Dead Don't Boogie and Tag You're Dead and they are um, two of my favourite novels of uh the last couple of years, and you can read the full reviews of them over at the website. But So it was a real pleasure to get Douglas on to talk about those books, but also his um, previous series of novels, the Davy McCall um, series of books, crime novels set in Glasgow, as well as his influences, which are varied, as you will hear, and um, also his non-fiction and uh, journalism, which um, also uh, looks at crime. Um, it's a fascinating discussion. Um, we could have talked for uh, much longer, but um, we also have to remember that there are people listening who have things to do and places to go. Um, I hope, so with that in mind, I'm going to stop now and uh, you'll hear Douglas um, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we did uh, recording it. Hello everyone and welcome to another Scots Way podcast. And today we're joined by the writer Douglas Skelton. Hello, Douglas. Hi there. Thanks for having me along. No problem at all. And we're going to talk primarily about the Dominic Quest books, because that's how I first came to know your writing. But also you've written um, non-fiction and biography as well. We might touch upon that if we get the time. But the most recent book, Dominic Quest's book, is Tag You're Dead. Um, tell us a little bit about that first. Well, Tag's the second in, in the Dominic Quest series, and um, in this one he uncovers a, a serial killer who has been operating unbeknownst to the authorities for quite some time, and uh, becomes a target of that serial killer. But what the killer does is uses Quest's um, film buffery, if that's a word, uh, against him, and torments him with a uh, film dialogue and clues and uh, and all sorts of things that he's, he's gleaned from Quest's own collection. There's a game, I mean, it, Tag Your Dead suggests it, but there's a real game playing between the two of them, a kind of cat and mouse going on. Um, it's a, it also obviously allows you to indulge your love of film. Is that the correct word? <laughs> yes. Because, I mean, yes. this is one of the things that I was drawn to, and the first book as well, is there's some fantastic cultural references, and you get to almost play along because you go, either, oh yeah, I know what he means by the reference to Scream or something, yes. or, oh, I don't know that, I'm going to go and check that out. Yeah, yeah. I've been criticised because some of them are obscure. Uh, I think that's great. I, I, I think that's a wee challenge. Uh, they might be obscure, but Quest being Quest does explain them yeah. as well, so uh, that's not too bad. But yeah, it did, did give me the chance to, to indulge my own film buffery uh, and have a bit of fun yeah. with it, because that was the whole point. Although these are not comic novels by any mm -hmm. means that you know both of them can get pretty dark yeah um th there is an element of fun with it because of quest's outlook because everything uh, that he does and, and uh, perceives is filtered through his his love of, of film and also tv yeah um the, it, it's it feels to me like you're playing with the whole idea of crime fiction genre or the noir genre in particular um and it's almost as if Quest is fulfilling a role or playing a role. His language, you know, he's, um, it, it references, 
he, he speaks like Mickey Spillane, but in West Coast of Scotland, basically. Yes. yes. Somebody said that what I'd, I'd done is taken uh, the West Coast crime genre, which is the West Coast of America, and planked it onto the West Coast of Scotland. And that's exactly right. That's that's what I was doing. I wanted to bring this whole American feel mm-hmm. um, to uh, uh, the, the tartan noir, which is a phrase that I hate, but yeah. we'll, we'll use it anyway. Yeah. I just wanted to bring this this whole idea. And Glasgow is particularly good for this because we are a very American city. Absolutely. And have been for decades. It's not anything new. I was listening to the radio. They were talking about Americanisms and you know creeping into, into our language. But in Glasgow, that's been the way... I would probably say since the thirties, mm-hmm. um, since you know the talkies came yeah. in, and, and Glaswegians have been very much influenced. In fact, the city was known as the fifty first state yeah. for a while, and and that gave uh, birth to a very very good burger restaurant. I remember it well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is now no longer there, unfortunately. But uh, so so yeah, that was the whole idea, and have a bit of fun yeah. with, with the genre. I, I, I just I just felt that you know we're getting pigeonholed mm-hmm. uh, with this, and I wanted to maybe just have a wee bit of fun with it, and and. The, the, my first four crime uh, thrillers were the Davy McCall books, and they were very, very much based on reality. Right. They were still thrillers, but everything in it was entirely possible or plausible. With Dominic Quest, I wanted to, to, to spread my wings a wee bit, and so if I wanted to have a shootout um, in the middle of uh, Alexandra Park, yeah. the East End, I would do that with Dominic Quest with Davy McCall I wouldn't do it Yeah, but with Quest yes I think that's true in Glasgow um, I would just think of pretty much the whole work of John Byrne the artist you know rock and roll country western um, just movies as you see just there's a real obsession with that particularly I think 30s, 40s, 50s culture yes that that was the uh, obsession that Scotland seems to retain you just have to think of the Grand Ole Opry and it's... Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Um, so right from the start, do you think with Quest, I'm going to have fun with this as a writer, and then you've also brought in other characters who, again, you could say, um, play a little bit with the same stereotypes from different movies. I'm thinking of Father Verne, who seems to be, you know, Spencer Tracy. In fact, I actually say it looks like Spencer Tracy. Yeah, yeah, you play with that. I mean, hit the nail right on the head there. And and, uh, you've got um, people who Quest probably would see as malls and dames, but they probably don't see themselves (laughs) that way at all. Well, I guess what I'm saying is it's almost like he's, I don't know if you know the um, Alan Grant graphic novel, The Bogeyman, Mm -hmm. So this was when uh, this character is in um, a hospital and breaks out, and he thinks he is Humphrey Bogart in the Maltese Falcon. And there is a touch of quest uh, in the art in quest that he is creating his own. We all create our own personas, but he's really going for it with the. He does, but then reality yeah. comes in, uh, and he's confronted with a body, or and it, it, it does tend to take a lot of the bodies that he, he has this habit of finding. Uh, and his stride and, and what I'm trying to suggest there is that this is nothing new yeah. for him you know a certain amount of Quest Pass you know about his, his drug addiction you know his, his fall from grace he was an investigative journalist um, he became hooked on drugs uh, because of the, through the work uh, he lost his job he lost his friends he lost his fiance. all through that and that's all there because it's all there in yeah, the yeah, his yeah. father Vern who, who saved him um, but 
between then and the opening of the Dead Don't Boogie, we really don't know what he's yeah. been doing. And what I want to, to imply here is that he's been doing all sorts of different yeah. things. And yes, so um, bodies are nothing new to him. So he does tend to take them very much like like you know professional uh, police officers and it's in his stride. Doesn't mean he's not affected. Yeah. But he, he's used to it. But then, as I say, reality comes in. Uh, and in this one... Um, as, as they say it's all fun and games until somebody loses an eye and this one the reality comes in because he finds himself face to face with this ruthless killer mm-hmm. and a lot of the fun in Quest disappears then yeah uh, and I I, I I don't know if you noticed that but the, the wisecracks that he has do taper off mm-hmm. uh, once, once he gets serious. to that stage yeah. um, being him he still can't help himself when it, when it comes to it and then it ends kind of on a uh, a downbeat mm-hmm. note, uh, yeah. which always appeals to me as well. It's it's a very west coast of Scotland thing as well. I think that kind of how do you deal with serious matters? Where we deal with it by making fun of it, or by you know making a, a light-hearted quip, or just having a joke. Um, gallows humour, I suppose, and uh, and that's what he he does. But he gives it his I don't know spillane or quest yes. twist on it. Yes. Um, so how did you decide a, that this was the way that you were going to go down? Having done the Dave McCall books, which I haven't read myself, but as you say, there were more serious, there were more perhaps closer to life, real yeah. life kind. There, there was still a strong thread of humour yeah. in them, because I do strongly believe that no matter how dark things are going to get, as you say, somebody is going to make some sort of wise guy, yeah. particularly in Glasgow, mm-hmm. um, where the books are set. Um, after I, I, I did the fourth uh, David McCall, um, I thought I, I, I need to try something different. It still had to be in the crime genre because mm-hmm. that's me. Uh, that, that's, that's what I read, that's what I'm interested in. Um, so I, I, I played around with a few things and then finally I, I just hit this idea of, of telling a story, uh, of, of doing a kind of private eye idea in Glasgow, telling it in the first person. Um, although controversially for some chapters I come out of the first person mm-hmm. uh, I didn't realise it was controversial at the time but it seems that it is uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I have this kind of freewheeling approach to the to the storytelling but also tell something that is really really fast mm-hmm. The Dead Don't Boogie I wrote the first draft in something like 12 weeks okay. and that was at weekends and at night at the time and it just kind of came out in a flood I had no idea what it was about That's when I started. Yeah. I just had this idea of, of it starting in Sulcoats, because mm-hmm. I like to go to glamorous places. Um, and so it started in Sulcoats, and I knew that Quest was going to be a kind of private eye without actually being a private eye. Right. I knew that he was looking for somebody. I don't know who he was looking for mm-hmm. or why. That all just came with the writing. And then I got to about three quarters of the way through and the idea was to take Chandler's advice that whenever your storyline is, is kind of uh, slowing down, have a guy kicking the door with a gun in his hand. So that was the whole approach mm-hmm. to uh, the dead dog boogie. And you can actually see that that at times, then off, right, there's a body there, there's, there's going to be a reaction beat there, there's gonna, you know, it's bang, 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 bang. All, all the time pushing forward this storyline that I had no clue what it was. Mm-hmm. And at one point, about three quarters of the way through, I said to myself, I'd better stop now and figure out 
what this is all about. <laughs> uh, so I had to, I actually had to stop writing and think mm-hmm. and I, I, I sit with a pad and write down the various elements that I had. The, the girl being chased, um, you've got a drug dealer up from London, you've got gangsters in Glasgow, mm-hmm. you've got uh, these mysterious guys, and then the, the mysterious killer who pops up in the park, who, who kills and walks away. Um, who's he? Why is he after her? Uh, and finally came up with the 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 uh, with with what the plot yeah. was yeah, essentially, yeah. and that's what first drafts are for. So I got to the end of first draft. By the end of it, I knew what was happening. So then I could go back in subsequent drafts and start threading in the clues mm. and, and making it fit. And is that the way that you've always written? I'm afraid so. Yeah. Yes. No, no, I'm definitely <laughs> interested because you know I haven't spoken to a lot of writers over the, the, the period. You know, some people say I couldn't start. A book without knowing exactly where it was going, and you know who's going to go where, and all this kind of stuff, and they fill their board with post-it notes yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And then I've got, you know, folk like yourself, I just get a blank page and I go, and I don't know where it's taking me, and that's part of the pleasure because I don't know where it's going to go. I wish I could plan. I wish I had the dedication and the patience yeah. to sit down and plan because it would make things a lot easier. But I'm far too lazy and far too impatient. Once I've got the idea, I just want to start writing. Yeah. Now it doesn't mean that often I, I haven't got an idea of how it's going to end, because I, I do sometimes know how I want to get you know where I want to get to, uh, but it's between A and Z that's where the fun comes in. How do I get from there to the end, and that's where the fun for me comes in. But I, I would still have the same amount of fun if I was planning. Yeah. Because you'd, you'd be doing the same thing. Yeah. But I, I just want to start writing. I just want to get stuck in. Yeah. I think it's a journalist. Right. And yes. You don't have time to plan as a journalist. Sure. Now, as a journalist, you'd sit down, you write it, you press send, and you're on to the next thing. And yeah. I think that's maybe what uh, where that comes from. Yeah. With, with the David McCall books, the fourth book was actually written first. Right. So I knew where I wanted to get to with the series. Ah, that's interesting. Um, so although um, each individual each individual book had its, its own storyline, mm-hmm. which was more or less resolved within that book, there was still there was still a story arc and various things that spread over the four books or went from two to three or three to four, um, uh, and so I knew where I wanted to get to. So everything was sort of dovetailed towards. That. So did you have you had book four? Yeah. Did you then go book one, book two, book three? Or yes. Or did you, oh yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. I went right back to Blood City, uh-huh. which was set in 1980, um, and did uh, that Crowbait and then Devil's Knock, and then had to rewrite the fourth book, which eventually was called Open Wounds, mm-hmm. um, because uh-huh, I'd, okay. I'd come up with other stuff in right. the other three that I thought, well, that doesn't work now, so I'm going to have to change that. Um, so did you have the end, because as you say, it's a kind of downbeat end, did you have, or a, a slightly down end? Did you have that for Tag Your Dead? The, the very end? Yeah. Yes, I knew that was what was going to happen yeah. right at the beginning. Okay. Um, so we've got this character, Douglas, uh, Douglas Quest. Douglas Dominic Quest. Quest. See, this is, I'm it's, already, it's an easy mistake. It is an easy mistake to me, and I'm just about to tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> so you have this guy who um, just uh, loves his film, loves his television, and um, was that something you wanted to do or in the pages that you had? I'm going to uh, just in, enjoy you? referencing these things yeah. Them yeah, yeah because a lot of this stuff not all of it I've got to admit but a lot of the stuff that you see in, in, in these pages is, is filed away somewhere yeah. in, in my head and it, it was nice to, to, to get 
all of this out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I can do what Dominic Quest does. Mm-hmm. I will quote films. And yeah. I, will, I will put film quotes uh, in my everyday conversations. Yes, yeah. A lot of people don't catch it, yeah. but I get some sort of. Um, self-obsessed pleasure out of it uh-huh. uh, so <laughs> you're talking about yeah. <laughs> yes that does happen people look at it and say, you say the name of the film and they, and they sort of frown and think mm. you're some sort of weirdo which is probably true <laughs> but you know I, I was also a big fan of things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah. and they would do exactly oh, the same absolutely yeah. exactly the same um, and uh, there are other programs that I've done but Buffy I think is the big example to me because a, a lot of the way they approach the way that they these characters spoke in Buffy yeah. I, I like and, and have tried to replicate in a lot of ways yeah. in my own dialogue I mean I think that's a, a great point of saying that's almost when television changed in terms of it was referencing itself I yes. mean it had happened before you know there was like comedies and things like that which did it but here was a big drama big Supposedly a teen drama, but it was right no, across no, the board. No, everywhere, no, it was you know. a lot more than that. And um, a, and and was kind of reference itself. So that then allowed for things, you know, some more successful than others, but a lot of them did that. And the television that we have today, this huge, I suppose, Twin Peaks before that slightly, but this huge, um, the way that we view television changed. I think with Buffy and the way that we we. Uh, thought about television itself because you know, they had the musical episodes yes, and then they yes. had other kind of themed episodes uh, they went through but yeah. you never lost yeah, that's the right. trail there's, a, there's another series called Psych right. um, which very few people apart from me in, in this country have seen I uh-huh. think and it did exactly the same and tremendous dialogue but a lot of film references mm-hmm. and a, a, they did a musical uh, episode as well um, and it, it, it's a crime thing but it's very very flip very very uh, offbeat and, and a great fun and you know it was just to try and tap into that that notion well and I would say I could see possibly the same thing happening with the books because the second one to me feels it's got a touch of horror in it as well as um, crime yeah and, and you reference you know horror films and you've got this fantastic uh, protagonist the, the, the bad guy, from want of a better term in this, is, um, I don't want to give anything away, so I won't, but you, you try to understand his reasons for doing what he's doing, and actually, uh, that's what makes it kind of terrifying. And there is, you know, characters in the corridor, and, you know, people that you think might be one person, but maybe are not that person, and so it plays kind of with real kind of horror yeah. themes, like yeah. Night in Halloween or something like that. Yes, Classic I, horror I, I didn't want to go down the same route as Boogie. Mm-hmm. Um, where Boogie was this chase thriller yeah. if you like uh, and really fast paced so for the second one I wanted to not as much slow the pace down because I do think it still moves pretty fast but it's mm-hmm. just not the, the non-stop action that, that Boogie seemed to be um, that there are elements of horror uh, I, I, I hope that I scare the reader a mm-hmm. bit because that was my intention yeah. Um and uh, but still, I hope they have a good time reading the thing. How do you feel about getting the balance right between um, the humour in it and the, the the levels of violence, which particularly in the first one are, are really you know quite. I mean, I don't. I could go for a walk in Alexandra no. ever again <laughs> without looking over my shoulder. Yeah, the first one did have a very high body count, uh, and I think it was just because that was the kind of storyline that it was. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the, the violence, I mean, it's not overt violence as you like. There's not, there's no sadism. No, no, no. Uh, and there's nothing, you know, particularly, I don't go into great detail, there's no torture porn no. or anything. Like no, that. no, no. It's um, good guys and bad guys. It's and good what? guys and bad guys. It is an action. I mean, let's say, quite, uh, Boogie is an action thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, Tag is a chiller. Yeah, yeah. That's um, a good way of yeah. Which, so, and, and it's, I, you know, it, when I come to the third one, I hope to do something different again, mm-hmm. but within the same style with the, you know, the, the same characters, which will give it the, the, the link. But it, mm-hmm. again, a different approach, a different kind of story. Uh, I think to do that, you've got to have a really strong central character yeah. to you, know, and I think that's what you've got. Um, so you mentioned uh, the David McCall books. Just to go back onto that. Although you said there was humour in that, what was the, the driving force behind that character in particular? David McCall. Uh, he, well, can I just say he was very hard to write, which was another reason I did Dominic Quest. <laughs> because David um, <laughs> David d- d- doesn't say a lot. Everything with which David is difficult. <laughs> yeah. Is, is, but everything with David McCall is internal. He's, he's the bad guy in the corner, if you like. Uh, if you're in a room, um, and there's four or five bad guys. The one that's quiet in the corner is the really dangerous the one. He's the character. Yeah. So yeah, he's yeah. the one that you've got to watch, and that's what David McCall was. But everything was going on inside of him. Mm-hmm. So, my idea with Davy was that just about everybody in the books would misunderstand him. Okay. They would think he's the bad guy in the corner, but the reader would know that he's actually not mm-hmm. because everything is internal so the reader is privy to what's going on in his head mm-hmm. and he didn't want to be this hard man right. but um, his life uh, dictated that that's what he becomes his, his, his history his life everything about him dictated that but right from book one when he's 18 years old he's kind of kicking against it so and he's he the character who wants to get away he, from he, this life he wants but... to get out of yeah. the life as, as, as I call uh the, the underworld mm-hmm. and all four books that's really what he wants to get to do mm-hmm. but he can't he keeps getting drawn in and because he's good at what he does yeah. which is frankly hurting people yes um, he, he's always just just when he thinks he's out they, drop, they pull him mm-hmm. back in uh, and he's, he's got to do something else but he, along the way he kind of helps people um, but it's not recognised by anybody else so you in in all the books it seems you've got a character or more than one character. I think the Sutherland brothers in the Dominic Quest books, who are good at violence, for one of a yeah. better term. Yeah. You know they have an aptitude for for mm-hmm. it, but they have decided we are now only going to do this with our, at least morally justify it to ourselves. Yeah. You know if you've hurt our friends, then we're going to have you back. Yeah. We're going to protect certain things. We have things we think are right and things we think are wrong. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing to do in a book, I think, you know, well, to... what I'm writing, really, are Westerns. Yeah. This is the... Because I'm a huge Western fan, and this is the whole ethos of a lot of the classic Westerns. Yes. Yeah. Now, we'll, we'll talk about one in particular, which is a huge influence on me, which is Shane. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I was going to mention that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The book and the film. Uh-huh. Um, and that is a character who is good at what he does. He's obviously... You don't know anything about his past, but you know that he's fast with the gun. Yeah. You also know uh, that he's put it aside. Mm-hmm. He's got it wrapped in this this cloth uh, all the time, and he brings it out when the people 
who he, you know, he's come to, to, to care about are threatened. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what I that David McCall essentially was shamed. Yeah. Even to an extent, Dominic Quest, because he's trying to put his 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 his, his past in the past, mm-hmm. and the Sutherland brothers are trying to make up in a lot of ways for the the things that they have done yeah. in the past, uh, and they're helping Father Vernon his his mission um, to to not to clean up Glasgow but to help the the abused yeah. of, of the city, uh, and not necessarily sexual abuse but also you know the, the, the drug, young drug addicts, um, young prostitutes, anybody mm-hmm. the people that live on the streets he's trying to help, and and they assist him. In that so it's all it all goes back to, to this whole western idea yeah. of the character with uh, the dark past who's trying to change yeah I like the what I thought of was Clint Eastwood and the Unforgiven you know but at the end where he can no yeah, longer that, that's, that's another he can no longer look aside um, so the, the they're in Glasgow all the books are set in Glasgow and um, it does seem to me that Glasgow in particular, and it might not be Glasgow in particular, but it's the city I know best, but it has a slight obsession with crime. Would you say that is fair enough? Yes, yes. I think because we've got this image that we're a crime-ridden city. We're not really. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're no more crime-ridden than anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's the image. And you've got the hard man image of, of the Glaswegian, which we cultivate. Yes. You know, we might kick against it and say, oh, it's not right. But we do kind of cultivate mm-hmm. it. And people like me don't help matters much either. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's a beautiful city. It's a great city. Yeah, of but course. yes, we, we, do, we do like our crime. Uh-huh. But I'm thinking as well of so yeah, the, the real-life crime. Yeah. Um, I, there's not many bookshops anymore, so this wouldn't be the case. But when there was a lot of bookshops in the city, you would often go and there would be biographies of a certain local gangster or such and such. They're usually done by the aisle, weirdly, you know, you could buy a bag of teasers and buy a biography of whoever. These are for shoplifting. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, you've also got uh, this odd magazine that used to get in my local music, it's The Digger. Oh yeah. Yeah, which yeah. I've just found out as a Facebook page, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I get, which is about, it's basically a magazine kind of, you know, about, crime. about crime. Yeah. Um, do you think it does go to this mythologising about the Glasgow hard man or is there something more than that I mean I can't think of many other cities that might have a prominent uh, crime lord for what you know his his funeral on the front page of the newspapers as has happened but again this is where we link up with America because they're also yeah, the dawn and all that kind of yeah, thing, idea and have been since uh, you know the the twenty the rise of, of the mob in the twenties. I mean, Al Capone became a kind of Robin Hood figure mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and so do our a lot of our Glasgow gangsters. We do, mm-hmm. you're right, we do mythologize them, but they mythologize themselves. Yeah, and a lot of them don't like us. The, the really serious ones don't like the attention. They like to operate under the radar, but you know they do come to prominence and mm-hmm. they do become folk heroes for want of a better yeah. term uh, I'm not saying that people think they're wonderful but you know particularly in Glasgow we're fascinated yeah. by them I think that perhaps it's you know maybe we're all just two steps away from being that ourselves mm-hmm. I mean, who, who knows yeah. you know particularly somebody like me I come from Springburn I could easily mm-hmm. uh, have, have gone that route if, if I was so inclined and I wasn't such a big fear to <laughs> but uh, I think the same could be said for a lot of, of Glaswegians uh-huh. and 
again, go back to the characters in the novels, these are guys who are cut up in this world for various reasons um, and are trying to not get out, I don't think Dominic Quest is trying to get out, but he's trying to do the right thing within yeah. that kind of circle. Yeah, well, he, he's got out, I mean, he, thanks to Father Vern. I mean, yeah. He was, it says at one but point. But he's still in he's the still in, He's still involved in that, but um, he, he's no longer doing the drugs. Mm-hmm. And t- to be honest, he's doing just what he can do he's got to earn a living yeah. so he's not he's not a real private eye but he still makes a bit of money mm-hmm. uh, on the fly uh, doing what he does and the first one it's, it's somebody comes to him and says I understand that you know you, you find lost souls um, which is a kind of writerly dramatic way of, of, of putting it <laughs> but he, he doesn't look at it that way it's just something that he does in the books you've also got the police yeah. Uh, turn up who are fantastic uh, characters and again you've not, you've given you've made them individual um, people with their own views on Quest and therefore their own views on what's going on in the books as well was that an easy thing to do for you because I think a lot of writers sometimes it's just like well they're the cops they've got the white hats on and these guys have got the black hats on and that's it but you kind of made them more individual than that yeah well, because they are yeah um, you know but a lot of people don't want to <laughs> I know they don't but but, but they are yeah uh, and again that's a that's a noir approach as well because yeah. the, the cops would be involved there and they would all be individual and mm. they wouldn't necessarily be you know squeaky clean yeah um, and uh Certainly in uh, in the Dominic Quest books, there's none of them that are particularly uh, corrupt because mm-hmm. that's not yeah. the way I'm, I'm going mm-hmm. with that. But with uh, with with Nick Cornwall, y- you feel as if there's a violence there that, that could erupt mm-hmm. at any moment, uh, particularly directed at Quest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, but but then you have uh, the, the the young uh, detective Teresa, who's mm-hmm. who's who's a bit more. Uh, open-minded to it but even by the time of the second one she's beginning to, to see Quest yeah. for what he is and who's to say that they're wrong because Quest will pull strokes and he will keep things from them Absolutely. and he will go and do things that he should not be doing I guess it's not uh, the, the, um, some people write them as one kind of entity but that they're almost bumbling fools in one pace behind what's actually going on whereas you guys they might be a little bit behind Quest what's going on but they're still kind yeah. of sometimes Helping him, yes. Usually, it's something he's not helping him, but in his way. But um, yeah, it was the way that the, the you could always do a book with those characters in it as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, that's important to me. I think that you have to pay attention even to the smaller characters, and I think you have to try and make them distinctive. There's no point. I will. I mean, I'll be honest about it. I will have characters who come into a story, and I've done it from the from the very first book with the explicit intention of killing them off Um, so the the, the sort of um, crime uh, fiction uh, equivalent of the the red shirts in Star Trek uh, as soon as you saw one you knew that person was going to be phasered or whatever it is uh, or uh, eaten by a rock monster and I'll do that in the books as well but I do think it's important that if you bring a character in that you make them a character so they will have something about them. I've got the woman in, in, in Tag uh, who's got this one wee bit of information to give to Quest uh, who talks to him in the street mm-hmm. uh, and she's talking about her husband and her dog. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and th- there's, to me, 
if somebody could come along and say, well, you could actually cut that out or just boil that down, and that would take away some of the flavour. I absolutely agree. For, for me, and the interest for me is this interplay between her and Quest and the things that she's saying and he doesn't know mm-hmm. when she starts to talk to him yeah. that she's actually going to give him a bit of information and she and specifically targeted him to give him this but she builds up to it she gives a flavour as you say of the book of the city of the kind of person that that is yeah. the kind of neighbour yeah. looking through the curtains and everything yeah. and all of these characters I think add to the, the, the greater picture mm-hmm. you're right you probably could get rid of a couple of them and just yes. then you lose you could but then I, th- I think you lose a bit of the flavour yeah. um, and it, it's, it goes back to again um, to, to, for another popular culture reference to a, a show called Hill Street Blues yes. yeah. and I used to watch that avidly yeah. and be amazed at the tiniest character yeah. in that had obviously had attention mm-hmm. paid to them by the writers by the director by the, whoever the actor uh, and they came to life Ed McBain, who's my, you know, one of my, my writing heroes, mm-hmm. did the same. You would have tiny wee characters um, who were in it for a page. Yeah. But for some somehow he managed to make them step off yeah. of that page and stand beside you as you're reading it. Yeah. And that was a real skill. And I try to do that. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm anywhere near as good as him, but that's that these are my influences and this is what I try and do. But that's these are interesting comparisons because you have your big characters that are there every week and they've got their own storylines which maybe run across the whole series or even sometimes over the whole program or uh, the whole set of books with Ed McBain. And you're happy to see them again, you know. When I used to pick up at being this, oh, Steve Carella, fantastic. Yes. Um, but as you say, every time there's got to be new people brought in because some people might watch it for the first time. And, and yeah. yeah, so these characters have to be strong, yeah. Otherwise, you know, yeah. folk go, well, who are these bunch of folk? That but they're, you know, they're just people that. that they're meeting as they investigate yeah. whatever crime it is in that particular book and they're just they're just questioning them for a page or two pages or a chapter but they become real people because he, he was a terrific writer and mm-hmm. he had this ability and to do it with such economy as well because yeah. he didn't need to spend a lot of time uh, on these characters you knew by the way that they reacted and what they said and you got their character uh, and I, I again I try to do that there's another character in, De- in Tag um uh, a young student who, who shared the flat with, 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 with somebody else mm-hmm. I don't want to say too much uh, and he's only in it for a chapter but I hope yeah. that that young guy becomes a real person Yeah. Um, and because of the, the way that he interacts with Quest the way that Quest reacts uh, and Quest's own reaction to everything is generally kind of flippant um, but I, I do hope that he, he becomes real and walks around the room with you. And and gives another uh, twist on the city as well and yeah. who you might meet in the city. Yes. Because that character and the wee woman on the street would probably never meet. No. But through Quest you get to meet all of them. So you're actually... So you see different facets of the city. Um, so how... I mean, you've written non-fiction as well and as you mentioned you were a journalist. So apart from meeting deadlines as a journalist what is the difference in, in writing uh, what do you find more difficult I guess put it that way was it the writing about real life crime or uh, fiction they both have their own challenges the, the beauty of doing the real life crime is that you don't need to make it up yeah. uh, because it's already there for you but what you have to do is find a way to tell it mm-hmm. uh, that is interesting to the reader and hopefully depending on, on what you're writing finding something 
fresh mm-hmm. the, the you know the, the gosh moment which is gosh I didn't know that you yeah. know when you're doing yeah. when I was doing that I was always looking for that one wee thing that would hopefully make people say oh I didn't know that um, so in fiction obviously you know the world is your, is your oyster you, you know you can create what you like but that has its own that brings its own problems yeah. as well because you've got to try and make it at least believable mm-hmm. um, maybe not exactly plausible but you've got to establish this world uh, where you will believe that a man can fly yeah you know if, so if, you're, if you're doing Superman you have to make your reader believe yeah. that a man can fly uh, so how do you do that you make him an alien yeah um, so in crime fiction it's the same how do you make them believe this particular set of facts that you're going to present in this, in this particular order so that, that is actually quite difficult. Yeah. Um, now you're not you're you're not journal, you're not doing any journalism anymore. Well, some people said I never did it. Really <laughs> but I mean, how was that? That they had, going back to Glasgow's obsession with crime or whatever West of Scotland's obsession with crime. How was doing you know, the the difference between the fiction and the everyday day to day stuff? You know, what was that? Must have been reasonably difficult, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean that. I was never a, a really a big city uh, newspaper mm. man. It was always local, mm-hmm. uh, the local weeklies. So, um, you know, you, important issues to the local people, but, yeah. you know, in the scheme of things, you're probably not that mm-hmm. important. So, uh, you know, it, there was a difference between sitting at a desk, and I was an editor as well. So mm-hmm. basically as an editor, you know, you just sit and drink coffee and, you know, the, the, the staff do all the work. Yeah. Uh, at least that's the way I tried to work it. Um so the, there is a big difference. It's, it's hard to work to sit down and, and, and write mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways, particularly if you're working you know, during the day and then having to go home at night or at weekends uh, when you wanted to watch something in Italian. That's the hardest part mm-hmm. about writing, whether it's non-fiction or fiction. Any kind of writing is that there's so many distractions yeah. out there. Yeah. You want to go and watch yeah. something. I'll, just, I'll, I'll have a wee break now and I'll go and you know, watch that in Italian. Uh, and that's the worst thing that you can do. You need to get it done. You need to, you know, force yourself to do it. Uh, I remember uh, Louise Welsh saying to us, never trust a writer, not trust a writer, but um, a writer with a tidy house isn't working hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I must be working really hard. <laughs> um, and well, again, I suppose with the non, uh, writing about crime in fiction and non-fiction really interests me because in the fiction you can give a kind of moral dimension to it that maybe isn't there when you're writing the non-fiction because by the very nature it's real and so sometimes moral abnormality yeah. could write out the window yeah and it's not my job again I take the, the journalist journalistic viewpoint is that it's not really my job to dictate to people on the morals mm-hmm. it's my job when I was doing the non-fiction was to tell the story uh, try and make sure that I'm I, you know I get it and get it right yeah. uh, you don't always manage that um, uh, but it's not my job to tell people what to think mm. that, that's the way I look at yeah. it I know a lot of journalists do think that they should tell but I don't believe that I personally yeah. should be telling people what to think I, 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 when I did the, uh, the, the the book on the ice cream wars the Glasgow mm-hmm. ice cream wars when with Lisa Brown like when we set out we set out with the mission statement that we were not going to say to people that these men 
were innocent. Mm -hmm. We were going to present every facet of that case that we could possibly get at in the time available mm -hmm. and present it to the reader and let the reader decide yeah. whether or not there was something in the, the conviction or not. Right. Uh, now, we were criticised on both sides because yeah. of that, uh, but that was the, and that was the way that, that we approached it, that's the way that we wrote it, that when we did the, the publicity after it and everything else, that was always the way that I would always say, well, this is what they said, this is what they said, and this is what they said, and put them together and say, well, decide, you know, yeah. what, what you think is right. So what do you think about fictionalizations of real crime you know I'm thinking it's happened it's a lot on television at the moment and obviously in film but there was the Peter Manuel one yeah. recently things like that I mean how do you view those um, it depends how well they're done it know? really does depend how uh, how well done and the approach I thought the Peter Manuel one was was actually quite good yeah it and it was it was quite accurate as well which mm. surprised me because I thought they would go way off in flights of fancy but they didn't mm -hmm. uh, so I did quite enjoy it. what got me about that is not what they had in it but what they didn't have in it mm -hmm. uh, because there was so much more right to that story and I think they, they could actually have had they could do another series right based on the trial alone mm -hmm. you know another three part series yeah. based on that trial because it was an incredible trial yeah um so you know that sort of thing. I watched the uh, the O.J. Simpson one. Yeah, I watched which that. Well. I thought it was absolutely terrific. Yeah, and again, I knew about the O.J. Simpson case, but I didn't know all the ins and outs. Yeah. And I thought that was a, a, you know an incredible. And they gave the trial a proper. It was an incredible piece of work. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen some of the other ones that, that are that are lauded, mm -hmm. um, but I certainly saw that one. What do I think of them? I think, I mean, I'm in two minds about them. Part of me enjoys them, but the other part thinks, well, what about the families of the victims? Mm. How do they feel about this sort of thing? Yeah. So th from that point of view, it does concern me. And that was one of the reasons why I stopped doing the true crime. Yeah. Uh, or certainly d doing more modern true crime is that, I, I you know, I, I started to feel guilty uh, about turning these things into entertainment because that's yeah. what I was doing. Yeah. I could dress it up as much as I like, mm -hmm. Um perhaps not the, the Ice Cream Wars book, but certainly some of the other ones, I could try and say, well, you know, it's important that we keep these cases and blah, 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 blah. But in the end, I was boiling it down to entertainment. Yeah. These were people's lives and deaths. I think that's always sat slightly uncomfortable with me with the obsession with crime in the city. It's, it became an entertainment. These people became characters and sometimes the, the, the victims or whoever the other families were were probably forgotten and I remember going to see um, The Craze when it first came out in the cinema with uh, the Kemp brothers yeah. if anyone that's ever seen it um, from Spandau Bally and thinking well this is actually quite a well made film and all of that stuff but something just didn't sit right with me about, the, the, about it and, yeah. uh, and there's been a few since then I mean a few set in this city as well yeah well you've got The Wee Man yeah that's um, uh, which I watched it and I thought it's it's actually quite a good gangster story, mm -hmm. um, but it's it's a no way factual. <laughs> you know, I think there are a few bits of it, but you know they've really gone off on, on, on a wee bit of fantasy with it. Uh, and is that a good idea? Yeah, but I, I would have preferred it if they had um, changed the name yeah. of the character. Yeah. If they wanted to do that, then change the name. Uh, and just tell a gangster story yeah. and it would have been a, you know a, a, quite a good you know Glasgow gangster story yeah. but they didn't they kept it to, to, to Mr Ferris uh -huh.
Um, and I've no idea what he thinks mm-hmm. of the film at all. Um, but I think it was un, un, unfairly lambasted. Yeah. It's not a bad film. I think the problem is, as you say, is because it's it's in recent memory as yeah. well. Uh, I think you know perhaps a bit more respect c- could have been shown to the facts. There was um, a film that Billy Connolly did. I think it's called The Debt Collector. I says that yeah, yeah. basically based That's on Edinburgh. Jimmy Boyle. It's yeah. bit, Edinburgh. I think he is from Glasgow yeah. and then goes through to Edinburgh, and he's now the artist and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. He's got a big house and everything, and he's no longer in violent. And then you've got this youngster. Oh, I can't remember. Robertson Robertson plays this young guy who is obsessed with his earlier times. You know, the kind of for what sense of freedom yeah. time, if you want to talk about it that way, and a and kind of follows him to Edinburgh and gets in. And because the names have been changed, I could kind of say, okay, I can kind of watch this and actually think it's a very good performance. But look, McConnell, for instance. Yeah. But I think you're right. When when the wee man came out, it was just like, okay. That if you're going to use these names and you're going to fictionalise parts of it, then it becomes a bit problematic. Yeah, yeah. But the the, the debt collector was fiction. It just yeah. used this this notion That's of, right. of a of a gangster because Jimmy Boyle's not the only one. Yeah. Uh, who who turned to art? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's so right. it's just used that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, of of the gangster trying trying to go it's very much the kind of thing that I write uh, yeah. trying to go straight and then getting drawn back in and then of course you get the cop who yeah. just can't believe that he's he's going straight yeah that's right um that's an fascinating area so um what I guess is next for yourself what do you um I, I'm I'm hip deep in a, a a wee book about uh, amazing and extraordinary facts about Scotland that I was asked to do so. Uh, that that's to be finished by the end of May um, and after that I, I need to decide whether or not I've got other ideas I've got a lot of mm-hmm. other ideas but I need to decide whether or not to do another Dominic Quest uh, or or rattle something else I well I hope you do do another Dominic Quest because I just I love the books when they come out he's a, he's a great character it feeds into I've said this to you before my sense of humour my idea of what a good crime book should be and also um, I pick up new references every time. Well, thanks very much. Um, Douglas, thanks for coming to join us uh, this morning. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll be back soon with uh, something completely different. Cheers. So that was our podcast with uh, Douglas Skelton and I think it's a fascinating listen for anyone interested in not just crime writing but writing in general um we'll be back with you very soon and um we're going to be quite excited about our next guest but we'll leave that as a tease because we don't want to spoil the surprise see you soon